coming up. It's about everyone. Yeah. You know, it's whatever Hello want us to do. <laughs> <laughs> I'll do it. Again and Non-Gay is a podcast from James Barr and Dan Hudson. They're like a lovely little couple, except they're not. Now, Dan's written on the script here. It's a difficult listen in parts with strong language, but this is an amazing episode and I have no idea why anyone wouldn't want to hear it. Like, you need to hear all of this truth because, my God, this man is just something else. We are going to talk addiction to alcohol, drugs, sex, and how Tony finally found happiness. It's making me well up just thinking about it. But it is a difficult listen in parts. It's maybe to straight people, Dan, but to gays and queers, we know this shit. Like, this isn't a difficult listen. This is just every day. If you object to the use of the C word, for example, you might you might find it a difficult listen. Uh, anyway, <laughs> a few weeks ago, we did a live show at the brilliant Cheerful Earful Podcast Festival in London. And it was such a hell of a show. So much went on that we decided to put the episode out in two parts. Last week, we put out our chat with LGBTQ plus educator and YouTuber, Jamie Rains. And this week we are joined by the big man himself, Fat Tony. Thanks for listening to our episode with, with my favorite cunt, Fat Tony. <laughs> Welcome to a gay and a non-gay. Congratulations. Congratulations. Thank you. They're amazing. I love Chrysanthemum. Shut up. You can just put them on the floor. They're going to die in five gonna, days anyway. They stay on the floor, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I've come to Balham to um, them. Thank you. <laughs> My life is fucking amazing right now. <laughs> <laughs> Are you excited about the wedding? Uh, I'm excited. Yeah, like literally, I got engaged last Wednesday in New York and. Uh, he didn't know a thing about it, and I had to, because he's Greek, so I had to go to his mum and dad and ask him to, for his hand. Aww. And she started crying. She used to hate me, by the way, because the age difference. I'm 30 years older than my Beyonce. And um, <laughs> yeah, and uh, she kind of started crying, and I was like, well, I'm only getting married to, to give the dog a stable home. And she was like, so, she, you know, she's like, stop messing around. But, you know, I was really nervous about it. I wasn't nervous until the point. And then we went to Central Park and we went to the statue, the fountain, the Freedom Fountain. And I don't know if any of you know what the, the angel stands for in that fountain. It was the first LGBT um, statue, like uh, memorial ever made. Because the woman that designed it was a lesbian and she had a, a, a she, did, she designed it on a, a, a a girlfriend at the time. I didn't know that. Yeah, they were together for, for like 55 years and she designed it on her. It was a model of her face and no one knew until they both passed away and it came out. Oh. Quite literally came out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that's why I did it. Kind of wanted to do it there. It was kind of just a really big thing and of course it was really good up to that point and then I sort of sat down on the fountain like a complete mug and was like... <laughs> and I was like, isn't the fountain lovely? And he was like looking at me like I was a freak and I was like... And we videoed, like, we got his, his uncle came with us, and I was like, Take a picture of us sitting on the fountain. It was so sus. <laughs> and uh, then the leg went, and it was like, I'm going to stamp on those flowers. Oh, sorry. <laughs> the leg went, and then I was scratching my, yeah, I kind of gave the game away. But it was, it's, um, it's, a, it's a remarkable thing because I, I, I've, I've really found happiness, and I'm so happy. I really didn't think I would be really happy about getting married or being like, you know, but I've got to this point in my life where I'm allowed to be happy. 
and I never could be happy before. I wasn't allowed to be happy. I would never allow myself to be happy or to put myself into a place where I could be loved or I could love. And now I'm in that place that I, I can love someone because I love myself. And to ask someone to marry me and spend the rest of my life with me, which is what I want, is a remarkable thing. So it really is. It's like, um, you know, it's more about, it's not just about, oh, we're getting married. Look, it's about wanting to spend your, the rest of my life with someone. It's fucking mad. Mm. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's like, it's beautiful. You, you know, I mean, you, you're talking to someone, you four, four men in one week. It's like, <laughs> you should be disgusted with yourself. It should be, literally, it should have been at least 14 men in one week. <laughs> Thank you. That's my life. Thank that's you. Wh that's where we come from, right, Stab? <laughs> you know, that, that's, that's, you Is know. Is that your record? No, and the rest. Don't be stupid. That was, <laughs> I was a sex addict. I, like, you know, for me, I, I, I describe it in my book. You know, it was like having pizzas delivered eight times a day and still being hungry at six o'clock. That's what sex was like for me. And it literally was... You know, sex addiction isn't a funny thing. It's like any addiction, it wants you dead. And sex addiction is just like being addicted to heroin or crystal meth or crack or any of those things. Primarily, it starts off as a really fun thing. Oh, we're having the time of my life. Yeah, look at me. I'm, I'm, especially when you get to an age of like 40, 41. Yeah, I'm still the man. I can do eight guys in a day. And what you find is that each time you have that sex, what's happening is you're chipping away at your self-respect. You're chipping away at that part of you that is, you know, your, that's keeping you sane and, and you become so insane with it. And it wants you dead, like any other addiction. So I always laugh when people go, oh, my husband's having an affair. Mm. He's a sex addict. I'm like, fuck off, you stupid <laughs> cunt. That's, you know... <laughs> Sex addiction is the, is the opposite end of intimacy. There is no intimacy. Do you know what I mean? And now I, I, I'm not in that place anymore and I have found intimacy. And it's, it's uh, yeah, it's incredible. How, oh, I feel like you, I'm in therapy. Yeah, you should be, darling, four. You need to up that list. <laughs> Come on, sitting there trying to boast about four. Wow. <laughs> you really are it, James. You've really got it going on. <laughs> and can, can we clarify which one of you two is gay? Because downstairs on the, my, on the speaker, you both sounded screaming. <laughs> Just putting it out there. How do you, how do you, how do you spaff eight times a day? <laughs> Quite easily. Now you know which one's straight. Well, you know, the thing is, you, it's not even about that. It's about just about degrading yourself to that level. You don't need to come because there is no end product in it in, within sex addiction. It's not about, oh, I need to come, I need to ejaculate eight times a day. It's about the first and the want to, be, to completely annihilate you. I mean, I... You know, I, I, I wrote a book called I Don't Take Requests yeah. for It. And in that book, I, I explain it and I go into sex addiction. because People don't understand sex addiction. They think we're having a good time. And, you know, it, it, it's not a good time. And so you, you, you just have continually having sex with people. And it's not about coming. It's not about that. Because that, that kind of ends it. Yeah, but, but at least it gives so a, a, a logical point to move on. Do you know what I mean? Have you ever bought really shit coke? I don't. No, well, like, okay. So when you buy, <laughs> when you, when you're at 6 a.m. and you've called the dealer and you've waited three hours for him and, and he's on the phone saying, soon come, yeah, and you're like in a phone box praying to God for the first time in like 30 years. And, you know, and you get it and you know you're buying shit coke because he's like the eighth one down the list 
right? We all had the dealer, <laughs> then we have, mm, he's okay, that dealer. Then we had the second, you know, and it worked our way down. And then 6.30 in the morning, you're sitting there and you're clucking. You're, oh, fuck it. It's going to be shit, but let's do it anyway. Let's waste 350 quid on it. Let's just do it. And it turns up and it's shit. And once you've got it in your hand, right, it's game over. You don't even want to snort it. It's the chase. It's in all of us. Yeah. It's human nature. It's like when we used to go hunting back in the prehistoric days when we hunted for our food. It's, it's in all of us. It's, 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 it's our human nature to want to chase. And, it's, and it gets to that point where it's just about the chase. And it's the same with sex addiction. It's that chase. It's that once you've got it, you're kind of like, oh, can you leave now? You know what I mean? Next. Yeah. It's that whole, that's, the, that's what you get off on. Mm. Right, okay. You know. Which, which of your addictions was the worst? Sex addiction. Right. Sex. I mean, I did 28 years of, of drug addiction, um, which isn't a boast. Please, it's not. You know, I, I've said many things in my time and they've always been taken out of context and made into like boasts. Like, you know, I spent over a million pounds on cocaine. It was not a boast. It was a part of a conversation. Mm. Uh, there's nothing I'm proud of of that. I'm proud of who I am today because I have compassion for who I was then. But that, the, uh, of all the addictions, it was sex. Because at an age of 10, without trying to get too deep... I got sexually abused at the age of 10 by a guy that I was showing films, working in, in youth clubs. He was showing films and he gave me a job working for him and he groomed me. And from the age of 10 to 14, I was sexually abused three to four times a week. And what that did, that opened this can of worms to a very vulnerable kid because prior to that, I had um, a thing... Cool. Uh, you know, I was always ill. I found out at a really young age that I had a collapsed lung and I could get attention from being ill. So I, you know, there's a name for it. You know, uh, I discovered that if the more ill I was, the more attention I got. And what happens is people prey on that vulnerability, and this guy preyed on that. So what he did was he opened this can of worms, of, which was sex. Sex suddenly changed the way I felt. It changed everything. I could suddenly get what I wanted from sex from men. I could get that watch that I wanted. I could get those shoes. I could get all of that stuff. Um, and what it did do, that was kind of like became an addiction then. So I never went to school. I got thrown out of school at 14 for having sex with my drama teacher. I, he, you know, he got shamed for that. It wasn't to do with him. I instigated it all. I put it on him at 14. I, put, I, I was a very grown-up 14. I had no choice but to be a grown-up 14. Mm because of what the trauma I'd gone through. Trauma changes everything. And I, I, throughout my whole life, that's the one addiction I never spoke about. I never, I, I did six months in, in treatment, in rehab. I never spoke about it once. I did four and a half years of therapy. And on the very last day, I spurted it all out over her. I was like, oh, by the way. And she was like, sit back down. And I was like, no, no, no. She went, you need to book another 12 appointments. And I was like, yeah, I will do next week. Fuck off. I wasn't, you know, I'd already given up drink and drugs and changed my life. I could not let go of that one because I've been doing it since the age of 10. Yeah. So you're not doing, you're not doing No Note November. <laughs> no, no, there's not. You know, I'm kind of keeping it in the whole 12 months, I think, you know. You know, it's a, it's a very sad and lonely place, like all addictions are. I have so many follow-up questions. Yeah, go. Um, but 
I, no, it's just, I think all of that is so relatable to so many LGBTQ plus people, mm. just because we're so vulnerable when we're young and people can take advantage of that so easily. Mm. And I often felt like my trauma was my fault, like I deserved it. Yeah, we, we, we're made to feel that way by society. But I think what I've like realized is that- Everything around us, it, mm. we're made, it's ingrained in us to, you know, Society used to frown. Look, let's look, talk about George Michael getting caught in toilets. What the world did to him, mm. you know, because he got caught in a public toilet. Why was he in a fucking public toilet? Because society made him go to a fucking public toilet. Because that's what we had to do. Why did gay men go cruising? Because it was illegal for us to meet other men and be po open about it. It's an ingrained. It's a learnt behaviour that's been ingrained in us for many, many years and generations. And w those places, those that that society frowns on is where you put us it's where we were put we were made to go there you know great grinder and all those things have, ch have changed that element of things to a certain extent but they're worse mm. do you get what i mean because it's yeah. kind of like okay it's acceptable now to do it because there's an app do you know what i mean it's acceptable to sleep with 22 people and it's dehumanized James. as well um, it's it's dehumanized in a yes way. of course and when you're in that addictive Sex totally right. and you know it's kind of about you know that whole as i said before it's about uh, how much we can degrade ourselves how much we can feel like fucking shit at the end of the day not feel like it started off with yes i'm still the man mm. i've had sex with eight guys today fucking you know, hell i've still got it <laughs> still got i never what? said that by the way no but <laughs> but you know what i'm saying it's that whole feeling of oh i've still got it i still yeah. can and you know yeah still got it i had no teeth I pulled all my teeth out on, on crystal meth the last year of my addiction. I had one tooth left. I laugh about it now because I can. I had one tooth left at the bottom of my mouth here. That was like, which I completely kept playing with my tongue the whole time. And I would rock backwards and forwards thinking I was normal because my, my mental health was so fractured and so gone. And, and that was normal. But I would leave my house and I would go to Sainsbury's and I would pick up three men on the way to Sainsbury's. I was like, I was spraying out this pheromone, like, you know, like some rancid tomcat. And I would come back from Tesco <laughs> Sainsbury's with a bag of shopping and a geezer. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? And it would be like, just put the shopping down, you know. And that was kind of like what we were putting out. You know, and then when I stopped doing that and started going to Sainsbury's, it got really boring for a very long time because I, what I found was, <laughs> I was I was detoxing from that behaviour. It, it, you know, and then, I, you know, and I, I'm very honest. And the thing about me now is because since that book, I I, I am in, I'm so transparent in on, on every level. I have no secrets. You know, it's uh, and that's why I'm in, I'm getting married because I don't have secrets and uh, there is. I'm not judging myself on every breath. I'm not looking over my shoulder constantly thinking, fuck, what, you know, oh, who's going to knock on my door? What's going to happen next? I don't have that feeling anymore. How do we, I mean, <laughs> we have to do a lot of work to get to that point. Right? We do. You know, what the thing about it is, is we just have to open our mouths and get honest. You know, I, when, I, when I wrote the book and handed it in, the, 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 I didn't sleep for a month. I kept waking up in the middle of the night crying and freaking out because that book has got all of my shame and trauma in it. And there was stuff in there that I, I am so not proud of. And when we wrote the book, it took two and a half years to write because I kept going back and changing it. Saying, no, 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 we can't, we got, we've got to change that. That's not true. We need to put the honest version of it because I started off really gl gl like glossing my life. Oh yeah, it was all this and it was fucking bullshit. And if I, you know, 
by being honest, I had a Sunday Times bestseller within a week. You know what <laughs> I mean? It's like, hello. <laughs> but you know, that kind of thing, it was mm. just about being honest. Because I've lived a life of lies. I, lie, I used to lie on lie on lie. I, I couldn't tell. People wouldn't even ask me the time because I didn't know I'd lie. Do you know what I mean? Like, literally, <laughs> I'd be like, yeah, oh, it's eight o'clock. No, so... Because I didn't know how to tell the truth, you know. You just mentioned Sainsbury's, and there's something in your book that's hilarious. I think you say it towards the end of the book, how you go to Sainsbury's now and you forget that you've got to pay for things. <laughs> oh, yeah, I like to steal. Yeah, I used to love stealing cheese. <laughs> Fuck you, cunts. Do you know what I mean? Like, seriously, I'd, I'd, I'd steal cheese, and I'd be, like, earning, back owning all this, like, really doing... Doing well in life, and I'd be like, ah, oh, yeah, I love that. <laughs> yeah. But that's ingrained in me. That's a learned behaviour as well. Do you know what I mean? It's like always I, I felt that I had the right to take something. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because it was five pound fifty. How dare they charge that for that cheese? You know, says he. That you know, it's just crazy. I nearly bought you some cheese instead of flowers. Actually, I did think about buying you some cheese or <laughs> <laughs> stealing it. <laughs> So well, let's talk about alcohol briefly, because obviously yeah. drugs, alcohol is also just this, a similar thing. You've experienced bad times with both of those. Well, they're, they're both drugs. Yeah. You know, we're all sitting in a pub and it's all great and mm. everything. But you know what? I, I admire people that can go to a pub every night or, you know, if, I think if someone goes to a pub every night, they might have a little problem. But unless they're, they're lonely and they want so, the social side of it. You know, I admire people that can get a gram of Coke, do three lines out of it and, and then... Two weeks later, oh, I've got that Coke left over from like three weeks ago. <laughs> what the fuck? Do you know what I mean? It's like, I admire those people. I mean, they're, they're fucking remarkable. I mean, <laughs> do you know what I mean? It's like, what the fuck is that about? Do you know what I mean? Or like someone has, oh, yeah, uh, I didn't, I'm, yeah, I've still got like loads of money from last month's wages. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> do you know what I mean? Or I've got, I've got loads of sleeping pills upstairs. Would you like some? You're giving your <laughs> drugs away? I just don't get that kind of <laughs> level of things, you know. But alcohol's one of those things. Yeah. You know, we, I never thought I had a problem with alcohol because I never, it never ran out. Mm. And that's a fact. It never ran out. I used to drink pints of Jack Daniels and Coke with like six shots of Jack Daniels in it. And that awful tapped Coke that used to separate when, when you vomited, Ugh. it would always come out black. <laughs> and I'd think, well, where's the rest of the, the Coca-Cola? I was like, I'm only bringing up the black bits, you know, and then carry on, you know, because being sick when you're an alcoholic means nothing. Right. Or it's like, you know, when you take an E, you would have that like oh, rush and then you'd be sick and you'd be like, oh, I'm all right now. And then you get really high again. And with alcohol, it's, it's the same kind of thing. You know, mm. we, it's socially acceptable. Yeah. And the only reason when people think someone's got a problem is when that person ends up on a park bench and they're drinking cider and then suddenly we all look down our nose at them. We're like, oh, God, look, there's an alcoholic, you know. But, I, you know, I, I do wine o'clock five nights a week, but I'm not an alcoholic. You know, it, it's really easy for us to judge because when we're confronted, it's like being gay, when we're confronted with us, mm. it's like internalized homophobia, out comes the homophobia, I ain't fucking like that, fuck off away from me, you put. It's the same thing with alcoholism and it's the same thing with addicts in the street, we love to walk by them and frown on them. When you've talked about alcohol, you've said that you felt you were the problem. I but, am the problem. But I also think that alcohol does have a bit of a problem because it kind of, kind of blames the people that have 
Like, mm. it, it blames alcoholics with well, the whole drink responsibility. What, what makes me laugh is it's like drink responsibly. Mm. What the fuck is that about? I mean, you know, you're, you're selling alcohol, you're pushing alcohol and doing this and you, it does what it says on the fucking tin. We know what alcohol is about. But yet you're put on a drink responsibly because you're told to put it on there, right? That's them doing something about it. Fucking take responsibility, open a fucking rehab, open a, yeah. a pathway for people that have problems, not necessarily just from your brand, but take responsibility for everything and just say, okay, look, this is what we're doing, right? And the world would be so much easier. I want to ask you about LGBT spaces because a yeah. lot of gay spaces are just completely geared around alcohol and partying and drinking. And yeah. how do you feel about that? How do I feel about it? Yeah. And you look... You know, I, 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 I only get involved when there's a problem. Mm. I won't say, if you're having a good time, I work, I'm a fucking DJ. I travel the world. I spent the whole summer in, in Ibiza. I'm surrounded by 20,000 people having a good time a night sometimes. And it's like, you know, I'm like judging. Oh, look at the state of them. No, that's <laughs> not what I'm there for. I, I facilitate. Music is the best drug in the world for me. And, for, and it, it travels us. So for me, I... I will only intervene when people have got a problem. People, you know, my Instagram, I've always said it's open to anyone to message me if they've got a problem. I get between 20 and 30 messages a week from parents or boyfriends or girlfriends or wives saying, okay, my husband's doing this, blah, blah, blah. Can you help? And I always point, I, I always respond to everyone because that, that's a really powerful thing that that person's just done. Because as I said before, if you don't open your mouth, you don't get fed. And but when you, what I mean by that is, is that that the strength it takes for someone to say I've got a problem, you don't you do not turn your back on that. Mm -hmm. That's when I move in. I'm like, okay, you're right, you've got a problem. Let me help you, because that's how I got clean. I'd be dead now, you know. I'm I'll be 17 years clean on on January the 10th. And wow. sorry, it doesn't need clapping, but uh, you know, which is it's, it's remarkable. It's remarkable, and I don't think about drink or drugs, I don't think, oh, I just have a line. Because I know where it takes me. I, 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 I'm very fortunate to have got to the end of that road. I just know that I can't do it. So therefore, I'm not going to say to you, you can't do it because I, I'm missing out and I've got, I've got FOMO. You know, I've got JOMO. There's a real joy of missing out. Right? <laughs> you know, for me, it's, that's where it's at. And, you know, it's, I think that the more places that people are doing stuff and taking drugs. I think, you know, look, I do festivals and they're, they're now introducing drug tents where you can go and get your drugs tested. And of course, you know, our lovely government, let's look at some, let's, let's get started on them, wants to stop that. They want to squash it. They want to say no. They just opened one in Glasgow. They've opened one in Cardiff, which you can go to all week. And now they're opening drug using places in Scotland for people to go and to inject safely. Wow. And what it's doing, it's taking it off the streets. Mm. It's making it a safe thing. And, and what would you doing is using that word responsible, bringing that into that, into that world of unresponsibility mm. is a remarkable thing. Well, because if it's illegal, then no one is keeping a check on you. And you just, th but, where's the line? You don't know where the line is. Well, look, like we said before, you know, when we were Literally, illegal, when it was illegal for us, yeah, I know <laughs> every line. I started my book with, there's a, fin, there's a line between wrong and right, and I snorted it years ago. <laughs> like, that was like, the opening line to the book. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh. and then it went into about my poor mother. But, you know, it, the thing about it is, is 
when we were talking earlier about gay sex and how we, where we had to have sex, mm. we had to go to those places because it was illegal. These addicts have to go to these places because it's illegal. But yet you can jack up in the street in Pimlico or anywhere else, the police will walk by it because they, they don't have the time and they don't want to waste the time on someone who's OD'd in a doorway. Oh, they'll be fine in the minute because they don't want to do the paperwork. They, this is the way it is now. And, you know, but yet, instead of tackling it in a different way and looking at it in a different way and thinking, okay, they're not just junkies. That's somebody's son. That's somebody's father. That's somebody's mother. J tackling it in that way and actually saying, okay, let's create hubs where people can go and get that help. Because we don't have that in this country anymore. All drug dropping centers have been gone. They're gone. You know, they're not, the, the funding was so cut so badly by this government, you know, and the government before it and the government before it. It's been all slowly, slowly being chipped away. And all we're left now is what, with a stick instead of where there used to be a tree where had so many branches of, of, of help and resource and, you know, therapy and like counseling and, and you know, just like, the helplines, they've all gone. It's all been cut. It's all been cut. And now it's been relying on people's donations. We need to, you know, how, how does anyone stand a fighting chance? I want to ask you um, a question, which is probably not easy to answer because it's, I don't know if it's as simple as this, but you talk about how you don't live in the past and you're always moving forwards. Yeah. And I've had a lot of therapy because of trauma and stuff. But how do you move forwards? Because with old patterns and old coping strategies wearing their heads all the time. How do you get to a point where you can finally change those patterns? I think most of those learned behaviors come from a place of comfort. And we, we, t we tend to go to those places when we, we seek comfort. You know, if we're like feeling vulnerable, we'll, oh, I need a drink. That's a learned behavior. You know, if you haven't had a drink for 16 years and suddenly you think, oh, I feel you have a, you, you have a drink. For me, I, I have, if I, wake up in the morning and I feel old or I feel fat, I know there's something not quite right. There's a level that, you know, it's all about balance. It's how I treat myself. Uh, you know, sometimes I can go three days without having a shower and that's old behavior. And I think, hang on, that's my mental health. Something's not quite right here. What's, what, what am I doing that's not, that's not, that's just shifted me to the right? You know, if I get tired, I gurn. My neuropaths are still, adjusted that when I started to and I went back to DJ and I went like that <laughs> because my neuropaths were so associated with my my job that they were linked so I had to learn how to rechange my neuropaths and I used the tip of my tongue on the back of my teeth and it's a pressure point that changes the neuropaths in your brain and it's just little simple things about learning and you know um I try to keep everything in the day. I, you know, I, I, I think that how I feel today, I know I'm going to feel better tomorrow. You know, um, if I have a problem, I'm very vocal about it and I talk about it. I have to be really honest about everything, the way I feel. So not a lot of people like that. <laughs> you know, the ones that kind of work with me or work for me or in my team or around me kind of got used to it. Because I, 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 you know, I suffer with really bad ADHD. Some days it's a 12, you know, it's off the Richter scale. And you'll be talking to me and I'll be picking up phones and like, you know, going in other rooms and trying on clothes <laughs> while I'm on Zoom. <laughs> coming back out and remembering that I'm on Zoom. Oh, fuck, yeah. You know, I, I suffer with so many different things. And I, the biggest one was imposter syndrome. You know, um, I'd be like 
whatever part of my career, going somewhere, and I'd be like, they all hate me. Everyone hates me. And it goes to that point. And that, then that used to stick for about a, a week to a month of everyone hating me. Now it lasts for three minutes. And I'm like, of course they don't. You know, I've learned to shake it off. I've learned that, I, that I'm enough for, for so many things that I'm all right with. Do you get what I mean? I just have to watch my behaviours. So when, when you started DJing again after rehab, yeah. what was that like? <laughs> I was a complete cunt. It was a mess. <laughs> of course, you know, you, I, do, I don't do things by halves. It's like I came out of rehab and did this big, like, yeah, expose. I did, like, kept these diaries in rehab. And we had a gay magazine called QX at the time. Yeah. And I was on the cover of QX. <laughs> like, all, like, you know, suddenly with teeth and bloated. I, actually, I didn't have teeth at that point. I had cotton wool in my mouth to try and make it look like I had teeth. That's true. <laughs> it's true, because my, I, I, uh, I, I pulled every tooth out. My whole face had caved in. I had to have my face rebuilt, my jaw rebuilt and everything. And it took, year, like, for the first two years, I remember when I, I went to get the teeth, the, the stubs taken out, and they were like, uh, I found a dentist that could put teeth in straight away. So, you know, I was really open about it. And the reason I did that was because I didn't want to go back. I thought, the more people know that I'm clean, there's less people are going to think that I was, he, he can't go back. And I went to DJ, so we did this big Fat Tony's back party. <laughs> what a cunt. <laughs> like, literally, like, you know, come and see him. Because like, I was skin. And we did this party at, which is now the box. It's called Too Too Much. We'd, and I uh, played one record and froze, and I had to leave. I couldn't do it. I couldn't get my head around it. Because, I, you know what, I'd, I'd lost. I'd lost that connection to music. DJing had become a way and means to get drugs. It was, it was, uh, it served its purpose, and music hadn't been involved in it for a very long time. For a good five to six years, seven years, hadn't even bought a new record. I literally just lived off other people's, t taking stuff out of people's boxes and <laughs> stealing. Yeah, I did whatever, and it was like that's how I survived. You know, I made a career out of being a car crash. I made it okay. I made it. I made it, it, it all right to, you know, I, people I would book me and I'd be like, I haven't slept for three days. And they go, great, that's what we want. They wanted the car crash. They wanted that experience. And I created that. And to go from that to actually trying to do it sober was a really, really big task because that's all I, all I ever knew. So it, it just one foot in front of the other, literally, and, and thinking, okay. And then what happened was slowly but surely, suddenly... I had this epiphany that I wanted to listen to music in the daytime, which I hadn't done in many, many years, apart from three records that I played continuously, um, that I was going to have played at my funeral, because that's all I ever thought about towards the end was dying and my funeral, and that record was going to be played, and this record was going to be played. Yeah. And then I changed the order. But, you know, that epiphany of suddenly realising that music is fucking the best drug in the world. Yeah. It has the ability to transport you to places where people are no longer with us. You close your eyes and those people are in that room with you. Mm. Free bars. Have you ever, you know, there's a difference between listening to music, right? Mm. And actually feeling music. Yeah. And when you, my hair's all stood at an end then. Because what happens is when you start to feel music again, it, it just, it's, has anyone ever done gong bath? So you know those vibrations that go that, through yeah. you? They go through you and you're like, it just lifts your emotions. 
It just takes you like to these out-of-the-body experiences, and that's what music does when you reconnect. When you went first out, went out clubbing, what did you go out clubbing for? And don't say dick. Um, <laughs> right? No, but like, when we first go to the nightclub... I think I genuinely went clubbing because I felt like I could be gay in, in a club. Yeah, and you could go and you could dance, yeah. and you could connect with people because mm -hmm. they're all dancing to music. Yeah. First time, you know... It was very different back then when I first started going clubbing. Like we went to heaven on a Saturday night and it was all men dancing to high energy music. You know, the drugs then were, were ether, ethyl chloride in a flask, which is what you used to put people to sleep with. Wow. Was so it you? Yeah. What? You'd put it on, a, you'd put it on, a, on, on whatever colour hanky they had in their oh, pocket. Oh, right. And you'd breathe it in and you would like, it felt like you were flying. And poppers, poppers. were very, very... Very, very, like, in at that point. And dodos and speed. That was kind of it at heaven. But people went there because it was, it was the only place they could go on a Saturday night that was men only. They could be themselves and they could dance. And that, that magic of dancing and to music, to, you didn't need cocaine and you didn't mm. need those other drugs. Do you get what I mean? Definitely. And if you turn a song up and you really get in, into it, you can feel like you're in a different place or on drugs. Or totally. Have you ever had a bad day and you've just gone, mm. hey Siri, put on George Michael? Yeah. And it just changes the fucking world. Mm. You, know, if, you know, I tell people all the time, if they're having, people say, oh, I'm having a really bad day. I'm like, play your favourite tunes. Put mm. Magic FM on. <laughs> you know, if you're lonely, play, put yeah. Magic FM on. You'll never be lonely. I always said this from the start was, you know, ha you'll never be lonely if you have a really good record collection because it, it will bring those people to that room, to that. You remember, though, it, it, it's that euphoric feeling. You don't get that from fucking cocaine or crystal meth. Um, speaking of music, who, what's going to be happening at the wedding? What's the situation with <laughs> the DJ? Yeah. I don't know. So far, what I want you to do is there's a church in Ells Court. Mm. It's the only place that people in, in the late 80s and 90s, the priest was the only priest in London that would bury yeah. us when we died of AIDS. No one else would touch us because they didn't want to bury us into the ground. We weren't allowed to be buried. We had to be burnt. And, and this church was the only place that had love and compassion for our community. It had a rainbow flag on the altar, which fucking caused uproar. And, you know, I want to get married in there because for me... It's full circle. It's for everybody that didn't make it to that point. Um, it's for everyone that I, I've lost, and it's for everyone that I love and everyone in the future. I think it's a really big thing. So I really want Jimmy Somerville to sing Small Town Boy at the church. I asked him many years ago, and he said yes. Uh, I spoke to... This is not me sitting again. All my friends... Um, because Jimmy ain't a friend, all right? He's not, he's not A-list. Right? A <laughs> no... Kylie is going to sing. She's already said it. Yeah, believe it or not. I've got my, my best man is Boy George because he, I asked him the other day because he's one of my oldest friends in life um, and he's been through so much with me and he's a complete cunt. And, I, and, <laughs> and, you know, also, you know, Dior are doing the suits and I don't think they've got enough fabric for it. Uh. But also, it's, it's a joint thing. It's mm. not about me. Yeah. It's about Stav. It's about Stavi's family. It's about my mum. It's about everybody. It's about, my, it's about everyone. Yeah. You know, it's whatever Hello want us to do. <laughs> 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 I'll do it. I'm like, yeah, baby, bring it on. You know, it's, uh, it's kind of mad. Can I just say, today, right, you know, when I wrote the book, my bucket list dream was for someone to turn it into a film. And, 
you know, and it's been going on for the last two years, like year and a half of, of meetings with different production companies. Anyway, it's now being turned into a docu-film, which is one, one side of it. We've had this remar a remarkable man called Nick Hooker who has just done Mr. Chow film and he's done Karl Lagerfeld, and this is the next project. My dream was to, has anyone seen Train Spotting? Yeah. yeah. Well, my dream was Irving Welsh. And today I had lunch with him, and uh, wow. he's doing the book. He's doing the film. Yeah, he, he, they, they rang me in New York last week to tell me that he really wanted to do it. And he wanted to meet me, and I went and met him today. And I just got off. Of, it was like he was like my uncle or something. I was chatting <laughs> to him for like two hours. Like uh, he was telling me about all his failed marriages, <laughs> and I was like, "All oh, right, okay, thanks, you Scottish cunt." Uh, but we were talking about. Uh, yeah, so he's doing the <laughs> film, which is fucking. Dreams, man. It's Fucking dreams amazing. come true. What you put out there, you get back. Do you go on saying yeah, to you? Yeah. I mean, what the fuck? Do you know what I mean? Mm. Yeah. I, I, I did actually start the conversation with just by you, so you know, gays don't go on trains. Mm. So we're not doing a train spotting. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't about trains. I went, oh, wasn't it? I thought, <laughs> I watched it. Gays do go on trains. Yeah, your type of gay too. You're <laughs> <laughs> All right, we'll leave it there. What, Thank what you very much, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you to everyone who's listened to our podcast this year. We've loved every second. Well, that's actually not true. <laughs> Some of it's been difficult, but we love making our podcast for you and we wouldn't have this any other way. Thank you for sharing our beautiful friendship with us. Um, yeah, we'll be back in 2024. Yeah, anything you want to ask us in January or for January, do get in touch. We are at Gain on Gay everywhere. And of course, if you're like struggling to think what to get either of us for Christmas, a donation to our Patreon page will of course not go amiss. So have a great Christmas and we will see you in 2024. And thanks for listening, babes. Do the admin and support Gain and Non-Gay. Visit gaynongay.com slash donate.